This podcast is brought to you by the website of doom.com. Hello and welcome to Aaron Fever Talks 2, Episode 3. Um, I'm the name from the start of that title. Uh, welcome to a great chat that I have this month with Mr. Hal Lublin, who um, is a voiceover artist extraordinaire, um, fantastic improviser. Um, you may know him from some of his podcasts that he's been on over the years, like A Thrilling Adventure Hour and Welcome to Night Vale. You know, those tiny independent cult hits that don't dominate the internet. Uh, and his current um, podcast with uh, Mr. Mark Gagliardi called We Got This with Mark and Hal. See, it's fun when you put your own name in the title of a podcast. You get to repeat your own name a bunch of times and others when you're talking about them, which is great fun. I have known Hal for a couple of years now and he is like, I, I defy you not to fall in love with this man. Like, he is, like, happiness personified, uh, which is putting a lot of pressure on one human being. But he will handle it with a smile, as he does most things, because he's wonderful. As always, this podcast only exists because of wonderful backers on Patreon. So if you like this podcast or like any of the other podcasts that I do, because uh, I do quite a few, uh, pathetically, um, or any of the articles I write, or just, you know, feeling generous, uh, please go to patreon.com forward slash Aaron Fever and help contribute to paying my electricity bills. Now to imitate Hal slightly, I will say, without further ado, now we will g- start this podcast he, he would probably do that better podcast should have a theme song podcast should not have a theme song well hello to you good morning sir good morning <laughs> good evening to you is it morning was it like three in the morning where you are i have no idea what the time oh is. it's uh, it's 6 p.m so i'm nice in the evening now oh beautiful beautiful that's exactly how i like you <laughs> <laughs> i thought you liked me on my back mr lublin <laughs> Well, that's what the evening's for. <laughs> um, you, this is a Saturday, so this is like in my mind, you getting up at ten. Well, obviously, you must have gotten up a little bit earlier. I'm sure you're not just just out of bed, or are you still in bed? No. I don't know. I I woke up at like um, seven. Oh, that is hell. <laughs> I know. I can't no, I can't help it. My body has been trained by having a nine to five job that I have to be up early. Wow, I mean, like, fair. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm I admire it because even when I had my kind of day job, uh, which is not that long ago, but um, it's the moment I got an opportunity to sleep fourteen hours, I would take it. <laughs> I can't. You're you're a lot younger than I am. That's the thing. I'm not. I, a, I'm not a lot younger. I'm thirty two. Okay. You're a little younger than I am. Right. The point is, you're you're about to reach a point where your body just gives up fighting. <laughs> And just goes, all right, do whatever you want. Fine. I won't sleep. Whatever. <laughs> um, so the, I, the reason – because you, you – let, let me start that again. I, you think I was the one that was just out of bed. Uh, <laughs> but this is, this is Saturdays for me. Um, your day job. How long have you been doing that now? I have been doing that for – it'll be eight years on Tuesday. Wow. Yeah, that was that was how long I was in my day job before uh, they let me go. This is not a prophetic announcement that I'm making. I'm not trying to jinx you here. Boy, if I, <laughs> if I get let go this week, I'm blaming you. <laughs> well, I was lucky enough. I was given a, a nice big fat redundancy. So oh, there you go. that was why I was uh, – that's why I'm still not in employment because I'm living off the savings. Uh, but uh, we, me and you had a conversation at Dragon Con last year. Was it last year or the year before about – the possibility was, was okay. It was the possi- about the possibility of giving up the day job. Yeah. Uh, how like do you feel? Because we were we were talking. I feel like you're close to that beautiful, glorious day when you can <laughs> when you can let go of it. But like, how do you feel about that idea? You know, um, it's it, it's exciting and scary. I feel like uh, like every st- it's almost like climbing a ladder. Like I go up a couple rungs, and then I feel like I'm near the top, and then I look up. And I realize, oh, there's there's still quite a bit of distance to go. <laughs> but if I look down, I can see I'm pretty far off the ground, which is 
which is good. Like, yeah. So the, the I, to me, I'm always doing like like calculations in my mind. All right, what would I knowing what would I need to get paid? What would I need to do to make that amount? Um, how close am I to to nailing it down? And the, the thing in like with show business is it's basically a lottery ticket. You don't know when it's going to happen, especially on the performing side when yeah. the people who are hiring you, it's your, your fate is in their hands. So it's when they're hiring, who they're hiring, what they're hiring for. And what was, what was your first gig then as like a performance thing? What was the first thing you actually got paid to do? The first thing I ever got paid to do, I think I was in college and my high school acting teacher was doing this program where he brought Shakespeare to schools in the in the middle of Pennsylvania, which is a very rural area, where he brought Shakespeare to to kids who might not be learning it otherwise. Okay. So he would have some of his actors come and perform scenes or monologues from uh, like Shakespearean scenes or monologues. So I I performed uh, performed in that full costume in in like podunk rural. <laughs> Pennsylvania in front of a bunch of kids who could not care less about yeah. anything having to do with Shakespeare. But it was still like – it was interesting. They, they, they were receptive as much as they could be I think. So would you play a couple of different characters in a couple of different scenes or did you have like the one thing that you were doing at every, at every school? I think we did one scene. I think, I think we only did it once. Okay. <laughs> so maybe I maybe I didn't do that great a job. There could have been like 10 other gigs that I didn't know about. But that was the first like getting paid and it was like a whatever amount it was. It was very small amount. Yeah, that, I'm sure. That was like the first little taste. Okay. And so what when did you get involved with the work juice guys then? Okay, so I graduated from Second City in LA in like 2002. Okay. But kept ties to the theater we'd go there and perform or take a drop-in class or support other friends who were performing and i found out about a sketch group that was being uh put together like a grad sketch group so the director was a friend of mine so i talked to her and got got put in that group also in that group was mark gagliardi and who ben acker <laughs> exactly <laughs> his name is very he's forgettable he's not a part of the story later on don't worry about it good um but Ben was in that group, Ben Acker and Annie Savage and uh, Fred Cross, who was doing the show at the time. So around the time when we, when we began rehearsals, I, I think it was like the month before Thrilling Adventure Hour uh, began. I already knew a lot of those people. I knew Mark uh, for, for many years at that point. Annie and I met in 2000 and went through Second City together. And I had met Ben at a party a couple of months prior. So he and I actually wound up spending a lot of time together. We would write sketches together sometimes, and uh, he was directing another show, which Mark Gagliardi dropped out of, so I filled in. It was me and Annie, um, Fred Cross, who was one of the original Thrilling Adventure Hour folks, mm. and, and uh, um, oh my gosh, I, the name just slipped out of me, Shannon Noel, who was uh, hilarious. The four of us did this show together. And through that, Blacker came to see it, and Acker and I worked together in a, in a sort of a closer capacity there. So we got to see a little bit more uh, character stuff, maybe than than he would see in okay. a normal sketch group rehearsal. And I got invited to do the show. He said, "Boy, we really want we really want to have you in. Whenever there's an opening, we'd love to have you as a part of the show." So that that happened like I think third show in. Okay. Yeah, because it was thrilling adventure was something that I didn't really kind of hear about until it was well into like its its pomp so to speak um so like it was already a big deal by the time i heard about it i can't i can't claim to be one of those hipsters who got in on the ground level and like went to the (laughs) would listen to like the first shows Um, exactly well we had like like five years of shows before we ever podcast and even though those episodes are a lot of them are are rewrites. There there isn't a lot I don't think that we did at at Mbar that original supper club that we didn't do later on. But there's still like there are people who came in those days. I just had dinner with a cousin last night, who who saw us in Brooklyn two years ago, but came to Mbar when the show was just starting. He just happened to be in town, so it's like didn't even realize that he was there for that early period. Okay, and it's, so did you? 
Because here's the thing. Would you say that's probably the biggest deal you've been in up to now? Is that like the biggest project you've been involved with? Apart from the Venture Brother stuff, which is, I feel like, also kind of a big deal, too. Yeah. Well, and Welcome to Night Vale is also pretty huge. Right. That's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'd, I'd say those two. Thrilling Adventure is what everything else came out of. So Right. That I was the genesis. That gave me every opportunity I've had. I've been able to meet a ton of people. That was where I met Jackson Public. So he knew my work from there. So so I didn't have to go through an audition process. And I don't I don't know that, that, that they have one anyway. I think they have a group of people they work with. Yeah, they're they're very kind of like I wouldn't say insular, but they 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 work with who they know. They, yeah. They, yeah, they don't take on strangers. It seems. Yeah. So that, so that's been the greatest thing. And even that, I consider Thrilling Adventure to have come out of Second City. So that that experience at that school and, and that community really gave me almost every professional opportunity I've had. In fact, I would say every paying job that I've had in Los Angeles mm. has come out of being at Second City, either in the writing or the performing programs. Now, you did a sketch group at Second City, but and I know I know you're a talented improviser. I've improvised with you and lucky enough to do so. Have you ever tried your hand at stand-up? I, I tried in college. Because here's my thing. I find, especially if, if you're, you take to improv like a duck to water, stand-up is incredibly difficult in comparison to it. Yes. I, f- I find it very, like, just kind of an unfulfilling situation. <laughs> I, I agree with that. It's, and I love stand-up. I grew up on stand-up. That was what I was mm. raised on. I mean, I watched... SNL and, and SCTV and Monty Python, all that, all the sort of the, the core classes that, that every comedy person goes through. But yeah. I loved stand-up above and beyond everything else, and I always wanted to try it. So in college, I did. And everything that I wrote was – could have been anybody. It could have been anybody <laughs> going to an open mic. It was like – I talked about salad spinners and people who wore their jeans too low. Like, just nothing. You would not. You could listen to it and go, "I don't know." That could. That is the blandest, most generic stuff possible. Yeah. And I, and I knew from doing it a couple of times that I wasn't willing to be personal enough and and revealing enough for it to be successful or fulfilling to me. And I have too much respect. For, for the art form, I was just like, all right, I'm going to stick with the stuff that, that I actually enjoy that, that makes me happy. This is just – it's so s- stressful. And why do you think you found it difficult to kind of like talk about personal stuff? I don't know. I think I think because like from ta- from talking to you, you're the type of person who's very personable, and you like you're quick you're quick to kind of like I've um, one day with you, and I felt like we were old friends. Yeah, I felt the same way. I think that's a that's a two way street. I, I, I guess. Think. Yeah, like, no, that I, makes I, sense. I, I mean, I, I'll I guess I'll take some credit for it, but I feel like <laughs> I've I've done a good job in my life of meeting people who who are good people who I want to be friends with forever. Like I I met you we clicked i mean we the first time we met we were rooming together yeah this is true it was it was it was lucky that we clicked because that could have been an awkward weekend otherwise it, it could have been could have, <laughs> i was just afraid that i was going to wake you up because i snore no you were fine actually you i don't remember any problem with you i remember once i put on my headphones but i like i <laughs> i kind of you weren't you weren't like a kind of like chainsaw snore where i couldn't like <laughs> i couldn't even hear like shiny happy people playing on my my headphones like it was it was fine is that your sleeping song <laughs> i will i i know it it does come up in my sleeping because I, I what i usually do is i'll just go to an artist like that i have a lot of albums of and just like play all and I have pretty much all of REM's back catalogue. So at some point, or like Shiny Happy People will be playing while I'm asleep. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> but, uh, but like I was saying, uh, you're definitely one of those people where it's like if you, you asked me uh, to come talk to you. I was like, of course, where, when and where? And then I was impossible to nail down. <laughs> so props to you for being patient with me. <laughs> you're worth uh, the wait, Hal. <laughs> yeah. oh, well, thank you. Please uh, let let that be my subtitle. But but for stand up, it feels different. Like I'm I'm fine talking to somebody one on one, 
I don't even know if it's like that, that I think I'm going to be judged. It's there's a safety in in improvising and doing sketch or doing voiceover in that you really are never you're very rarely playing yourself. You're always you're always at character. So if they don't like what what's happening, they don't like the character. They don't like what I'm doing right now. But for stand up, if they don't laugh, I I feel maybe it's maybe it's just me like oh they're I'm not funny. Yeah. Like me. No, I can understand that. I've I've had people like cuz I've only like dabbled in stand up a couple of times in like the last year and I I remember like friends who have been doing it for a while giving me the advice of like pretend to be somebody when you're on the stage cuz then if they don't laugh they're not not laughing at you if that makes sense no it, it totally makes sense um yeah. but I, I i i had this weird thing where um i like you very much like yourself my first stand-up set was like i don't even know if it was necessarily generic but like it was it was bullshit like i just told like a a, a, a funny sex story from one of my youth thinking that that was gonna win me over the crowd it's like hey there was this funny time when i was like having sex with a girl aren't i funny like it was it was stupid <laughs> Um, but like my, when I kind of, I had a big breakup last year and, uh, the, the, the girl I was seeing for nine years kind of, uh, me and her broke up. And so I wrote a set around that and the reaction from the audience was very different. And it's like, you're saying you kind of have to be very honest and open with the audience to get any sort of reaction with stand up. And that was kind of when I did that, that was the only time I got any sort of response, but, uh, yeah, I, I, just, I haven't bothered to try and book a stand-up gig in about six months, so that'll probably tell you how I feel about it. <laughs> yeah, you really, I mean, you you have to want, like the other part of it is, so, so you have to be honest, obviously, but you also have to, to get up all the time and be willing to just go to as many open mics as possible and, and network in that way. And for for me, and probably for you too, if it's not, the main thing you want to do mm. you're not willing to commit the time and it's not fair when there are all those people who are like they yeah. should be doing it yeah i'm away from them it kind of has to be the only thing you want to do and i think me and you are both kind of uh eclectic entertainers and that we we kind of want to do a bunch of things yes um now you said, said before about like you like to kind of get into characters and stuff when you're doing sh- uh kind of improv and and uh voice work and stuff and it's you have a very good ability of i wouldn't i'm not gonna say mask your voice but when you change your voice for a character like in the like when you play widewell in the venture brothers i wouldn't have guessed that was you Oh. And and like a, and we've shared a bedroom together. <laughs> and the I most wouldn't intimate of <laughs> arrangements. Yes, I've watched you fall asleep to the WWE Network. Um, <laughs> uh, so it's not like uh, I don't. I wouldn't recognize your voice. So yeah, you're very good. When was it that you noticed that you could kind of do that? Was that like a, from an early age that you were able to play with your voice and stuff, or did that come later when you were doing Second City? I always liked mimicking stuff as a kid. I don't know. Uh, it's I. I appreciate you saying that. I appreciate it whenever anybody says it because I, I don't. I don't know if if John DiMaggio or Billy West or Tom Kenny feel this way. But anytime I do a voice, I almost always hear like it just sounds like me. <laughs> you know that thing like when yeah. where somebody does a voice and they're just like I'm doing my own voice and here's my character and it's like it's still you. I can tell it's you. I can tell from a million miles away. That's I, I always hear my own voice, um, but I've always done sort of – I remember this – is, this is not the earliest instant, instance, but my senior year of high school, we did a community service program. And oh, wow. One of my best friends and I, we interned at a local a public television station. Okay. Like a little station in Roxborough, WYBE. So anybody in the Philadelphia area may know about it if it still exists. It was Channel 35. And one of the things they had me do, they gave me a, a, a list of the top 500 businesses in Philadelphia. And my job was to call them and get a hold of their business development or whoever, whoever handled their charitable donations to try and secure money for WYBE. And so I got to a point where it got really boring because I was not a salesperson at all at the time. I had no sales skills. Right. I was just a kid cold calling people. So I started just doing different voices to see if I could get the person on the other end of the phone to stay on the on the line with me. So oh. I do like a 
like a weird joke, like, hello, I'm calling to see if you want to give any money to WIPE. Please call uh, Ken Vinnecal. And then he had me spell it, and I was like, W-I-N-K-O-U-R. And he said, is that R? I said, no, R. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that was uh, fun. I've always just uh, had fun like that. I guess like anybody does. Yeah. But, but I've also been really, uh, I, I've always enjoyed sort of imitating people's voices when I can. That's a, which is basically the basis of any character. Yeah, well, I I remember because um, I uh, I'm not very good at altering my voice, um, and it's gone to the point now where when I do improv scenes, I almost never bother trying to put on an accent because it's just it's indistinguishable. <laughs> um, and uh, but someone was telling me before is this like well, if you're doing a bad accent. It just seems like a brand new, interesting character because people can't tell the the imitation that you're doing is yep. like. So if I try and do my like, you know, Christopher Walken, people just think I'm a guy with a speech impediment. So that's a brand. <laughs> so instead of going, why is that like bad Christopher Walken in the scene? They just go, oh, that's an interesting, unusual choice that he made there. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly it. <laughs> Those like terrible. I, I've started trying to do that more. It's like, OK, I know if I I know I can't do an impression of of whoever christian bale just talking but if i do my version of that maybe it'll work for this character right exactly yeah or whatever um so i definitely is there is there any examples of that like where you've actually you're it's a it's a something that somebody might know of that it's actually like secretly like a a can plume impression Oh man, no! I can't do a Ken Plum impression. Can nobody, like- nobody can. He's. I've heard no. one guy do it. There's a guy called I think it's a Charlie something, uh, a YouTuber in England who did a spot on Ken impression, and it blew my mind because I didn't think it was possible. Oh, I want to hear that so badly. <laughs> I know it's it's online somewhere. I'll have to find it and send it to you someday. Uh, yeah. I- hi there. Ken yeah. Plume here. <laughs> I just did my Brilliant. Kermit impression. <laughs> Hi ho! Hi ho! Here. <laughs> I'm trying to think. I don't. I can't think of like work that I've done where it's specifically an impression that became an. Well, oh man. Oh okay. I did a. I did a character once for an online series for AOL that never saw the light of day. There was like one episode made it out. And this was back in 2006. Okay. So their web series were not. They weren't a big deal back then. No. And you can find it on YouTube somewhere. But I played a a puppet that had like a high voice, which wasn't really based on anybody. But I also narrated it. And the narration was based on Alec Baldwin as Mr. Conductor in the, uh, the Thomas the Tank Engine movie. Wow. Just because I thought it was such a weird, like, you just don't expect that. And it doesn't sound like him at all, but that's who I'm channeling because I just, there's just something so weird about that sincere an actor doing that movie. Yeah. Well, I mean, because here's the thing. I don't know. Did Ringo start the narration for the original TV show in America or did they redub it over there? No, he, so he did it for, for a while or they aired his episodes. And then I think when they ran out of them. Uh, it was George Carlin. Oh, when they did the film George Carlin, really? Wow! Yeah. <laughs> and with no sense of irony, he was like one hundred percent into it, and like you expected to to go like, "Hey, you know, you can't say pussy at a trade station." Kids. <laughs> None of that. Oh man, that would be amazing to to hear. I have to look that up sometime. Yeah. Um, so okay, so. Uh, we've we've spoken a little bit about how you got into kind of improv and stuff like that. Uh, let no no one ever talks to you about your love of wrestling, Hal. I know. I feel I like to, I feel like we need to air it. Can we? <laughs> I think we, we should. <laughs> are you up to date with NXT at the moment, or are you like skipping that and watching Raw and stuff instead? No, I, well, I feel like the biggest mistake would be to skip NXT right now because they're... It's the best thing, right? Product. Yeah, but I, I rarely have time during the week to sit and watch stuff. So what I do is I read all of the results online and then I decide like, okay, that card looks really good. I want to go check that out. Or late at night before I go to sleep, if I'm, if I'm not quite tired yet, I'll pop it on uh, WWE Network and watch it there. 
But like raw, I, raw, I watch in like fifteen to thirty minutes. Oh, because that's really all that's watchable in that show. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, they're they're in the. I mean, the Shane McMahon return was interesting. Uh, I, I mean, I love that he's back. I mean, big the Shane match McMahon. they set up though is bizarre. Yeah, doesn't make any sense. Okay, so how did you find wrestling? Like, was it something that you would go to see live as a kid, or was it a TV thing for you? It started as a TV thing. I was the perfect age. So when Hulk Hogan won the world championship from the Iron Sheik, which I think was in 84, okay. 84 I was six or seven years old. So the perfect age to to really get into wrestling. And they they marketed it towards kids. They had the Rock and Wrestling cartoon in 85, yeah. uh, the first WrestleMania. So I would watch on TV. I saw a live house show. I think that it was right before or right after WrestleMania Two. I want to say it was before, because the main event was Hulk Hogan versus King Kong Bundy. Wow. Okay. And then I, when WrestleMania three happened, I went to the Philadelphia Spectrum and we watched it on closed circuit. So we all craned our necks up at the <laughs> at the center, the television screen, and watched WrestleMania three. And I just I would rent VHS tapes and just any time I could watch it, I it, I loved it. Loved it. Had no idea it was. That it was uh, predetermined. <laughs> yeah, that's the best way to put it, predetermined. Um, yeah. That was my favorite. I don't know if you saw that clip of Bill Goldberg. Uh, this little kid on the beach was like, Dad, is wrestling fake? No, son, it's predetermined. <laughs> <laughs> I've not seen that. Yeah. It's, it is. It's what it is. Yeah. People get hurt. Um, so, cause I, I have, uh, an opinion that it's, 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 it is redneck theater. It's what it is. Um, and I think anybody who has an interest in performance, I don't understand how they couldn't gravitate towards, uh, wrestling, um, because of, you know, just the spectacle of it and just the fun of telling a town that they're all a bunch of turds and they're going to flush the toilet. Like, you know, it's like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and the idea of like, they're the ultimate physical performers. So there may be guys who aren't great on, on a microphone. Right. And then they get in the ring. Like Bret Hart was, was good on the microphone. He wasn't great. No. But if you watched him in the ring and watched the story that he told with whoever his opponent was, it was, it was fantastic. He told great stories. Yeah. He did it physically, um, and it's it, and it's and it's a it's a wonderful subconscious way of of doing it. Not for the wrestlers because obviously they're you know they know what they're doing, but like to the audience, I think most of the time they're not they don't recognize why they're suddenly into a match. Yes, um, which is I think is, is a beautiful thing because it's it's especially with movies like at the moment I think they're almost reviewed to death now online. Uh-huh. Um, so it like I, I even find it hard to just sit back and turn my brain off with a movie but it's wrestling is so intricate in its storytelling sometimes and just like little subtle movements within the ring um, yes. and I was I was uh, not to go on a side tangent because this is an interview with you <laughs> but, uh, I was listening to Mark Maron's podcast with Sasha Baron Cohen the other day um and it was just they just posted this last week and uh in his movie i think it was bruno he had a it the movie ended with like a ufc fight uh yes. which he had designed and he he had to film it twice cuz the first time he couldn't get the reaction from the live audience that he wanted and he realized that he had to change how the fight went because people weren't getting behind him because he was like bigger than the other guy and all this kind of stuff. And I was just kind of like, that's wrestling. Yep. To be able to control how, whether a crowd cheers or boos or gets into the, the match, you, it's, it's little details about who hits who and how they hit them and in what way and all this kind of stuff. And I think it's, I think it's beautiful. Um, I, I love the psychologist. If, if you're wanting to get into wrestling and you want to understand what a great story is, watch the Shawn Michaels Ric Flair retirement match where Shawn Michaels who's physically who is younger and and physically more able than Ric Flair in the first 2 minutes of that match he it, he gets injured so he's hobbled and then from from then on you believe the rest of the match it's a possibility he could lose and right. that's like the wrestling at its best is like a magic trick if you go to see a magician you don't believe in sorcery 
you know that he's he's basically trying to deceive you, to entertain and deceive you at the same time. And the, the best magicians make you go, well, how did they do that? Like that maybe maybe magic is real for a second. I forgot that I was trying to figure out how you were going to get me, and I just I just enjoyed losing myself in in the beauty of the trick and that's wrestling at its best yeah i i remember i was kind of getting uh disenfranchised with wrestling for a short while uh in around like the you know noughties period like because i did between 2000 and 2010 and then the infamous cm punk pipe bomb like made me just go ooh. Like, I don't know what's, like, was he allowed to say that? Was he not allowed? Like, whether was this scripted or not scripted? And then when they have you like that, when you don't know what's going on, it's amazing. So when they had his fight at Money in the Bank against John Cena, where he was going to leave uh, the company, I was, I was like a child again. I could, I was wrapped up entirely and, you know, was believed in the wrestling match. I, you know, I was com- hook, line and sinker, just like on the edge of my seat, screaming at the television. And yep. it, it, and when I know as a grown adult that it's predetermined and it still manages to make me do that, I think that's, you know, that's an amazing uh, thing. Um, 100%. So did you ever, because I know I always wanted to be a, a manager for some tag team. Uh, I wanted to be able to be on the sidelines like Jimmy uh, Hart with a megaphone and just shout obscenities at people. Yes. Would, were you ever tempted? Of, oh, I've, all, I, I've always thought that would be a really, really cool thing to do. Again, it's, again though, it's sort of like stand-up. Like, I don't, could I do that? Because they're so over the top and they keep it going. I mean, Heenan... Bobby Heenan in particular, who like wasn't he didn't quite yell all the time. He was just the like the quickest witted human being in the history. The smarmy one, yeah, exactly. And, but when he did physical stuff, it was so great. When they put the weasel suit on him, whenever he would <laughs> wrestle and wear like the Andre the Giant singlet, like he was he was great. Like even he was, who uh, was never big enough to be a wrestler, he was great in in wrestling. Like just in that environment, he fit. Perfectly. Yeah, yeah. Um, he was probably like the 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 best bumper for managers like ever. Um, yes. He could really kind of like get involved. Like Heyman's not great for that, but he's one of the greatest ever on the microphone. Absolutely, um, sells a match like nobody. So, uh, so speaking of kind of wrestling and stuff like that, me and you are kind of oddballs in the sense that we're sports fans in yes. the world of comedy and performers and stuff like that who have take usually nine times out of ten take no fucking interest whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. Yeah. Oh, there goes my mic. Set that back up. I'm such a professional. Oh, it's it's you caught it, which is beautiful. I caught the mic. <laughs> It's like sliding all over the place. It's a terrible mic stand. I hate it so much. Anyway, um, I uh, what was I saying? Completely, the mic completely threw me off. We were oh, talking sports fans. Yeah, yeah. I've, I'm a fan of all sports. I grew up a sports fan, but also like I came to that on my own. My dad raised me to love comic books and sci-fi, and my mother was was a huge comedy fan. So uh, that was like my real education for my parents, and then. Sports were fun, and when I went to college, I went to to New York, to central New York, like sort of an hour and a half away from Buffalo, uh, like up in the snowy area. And that was my first time really away from home for a long period of time. And for me, sports was how I stayed connected to Philadelphia. So no matter what was happening, I could follow the sports teams and still feel like connected to my hometown. And that's moving to California, same thing, like still a huge Philadelphia fan and supporter and that helps me stay connected to the town okay and is it is it, is football your vice or do you do you dabble in others um I a big basket I love basketball baseball and football um, and I enjoy hockey I haven't followed it closely in the past 15 years or so but okay. there was a period of, of time where I was a gigantic hockey hockey fan and like is because Here's the thing, because like as a comic book nerd um, and a sports fan, because I don't, I don't identify why most comic book nerds don't like sports, because 
it's it's com like it's it's almost like a comic book in the sense of like there's people you root for there's people who are the villains in your eyes there's you know there's you know someone who reigns triumphant uh there's drama like there's all that kind of stuff so i don't i i don't get why they don't like it yeah i I don't know either and it's there's almost like a so sometimes it seems like sports people are unwilling to learn about about the things that 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 nerds are geeks like like they're they're unwilling to give sci-fi a chance it's it's just dorky stupid shit right but then the flip side now now that that nerd culture is more prominent or acceptable or even cool it's like like i don't want to learn about sports it's dumb it's just a bunch of apes yeah hitting one another and like if you don't like violent sports that's fine there are plenty to choose from that are not violent at all but it's like tennis or something yeah it's like i'm proud i don't know about it like you, I hate the word sports ball. I know. It just seems like I'm making fun of. They, people say they're making fun of themselves, but really you're just saying I don't want to learn about something. I'm not interested in in learning about it, which is kind of ignorant. Yeah, it's 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 the table turning in a, in a weird way. It's 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 not a, it's not a form of bullying, but it's this kind of like. Um, it's yeah, it's a non-acceptance thing. It's like you know, I if you if you like sports, you're not on my you're not on my club, um, yes. in a, in a sense. Uh, but it's I'm always kind of um, I was in a, when I was at, went to Dragon Con last year. I I went to see Ireland's uh, soccer team in the local uh, pub because they were playing a, a qualifying match for the European Championship so I was like I gotta, I gotta see this game so I like wandered into the local Irish bar and I was just kind of like you know you gotta put the match on put the match on and <laughs> you know I, I was wearing my Irish jersey and stuff and uh, there was a guy beside me at the bar and he was American and he was like he said to me I don't understand soccer like why do you like it and I'm like well how, why do you like football? And he was like, I don't know. And I was just like, yeah, it's hard to it's hard to say why you like a sport. Um, you know, I I try to relate it to like my because there was that was how I connected with my dad. My dad is a huge sports fan and stuff like that. And you know, uh, I don't think he's ever read a book for as long as I've known him. Um, but uh, it's not exaggeration, sadly. Uh, but it's. Uh, that was how me and him, and it's still how me and him connect. If I go home, it's one of the first things we'll talk about. Uh, I I like that your dad was the comic book nerd, though. That's that's a that's a that must have been a, a different way to approach it. Because uh, like, don't kids want to rebel from what their parents like? They they do. I was I was never a rebelling kid. I mean, you know, I'm a pretty tame human being, right? In general. And so I was never a problem for them as a child. In fact, my mother, like, I guess that's what happens when your parents are cool with everything. You don't do anything. <laughs> so I suppose. My mother would look at me and go, like, you have great earlobes for earrings. You should go get your ear pierced. So I'm the kid going, like, mom, I don't want to get my ear pierced. Leave <laughs> me alone. We are not going to the mall right now. <laughs> Which, of course, is the opposite of everyone else who wants tattoos and earrings or, right. or whatever. Here's the thing that happened with my dad. So as a kid, I'm into sports, and then I start collecting baseball cards like a lot of kids do. And my father's like, oh, I used to collect baseball cards as a kid. You and I are going to do it together now. We're going to go to baseball card shows. We're going to set up a table. We're going to buy full set. Like, he's got wow. a he went, baseball card collection. He now. went all in straight off the bat. <laughs> he went all in. And then, and then for me, I'm like, oh, this isn't fun anymore i don't i can't open this wax pack because it lowers the value of it and then with comics it was a similar thing i started to really get into comics when i was like 12 13 and my father was like i used to collect comics all right let's start going to comic book shows and then he still to this day he kept up i don't keep up with comics as my i have like a huge stack in my bedroom to read that i have to get through right uh but he he's gone back to collecting Golden Age comics. So particularly Superman, like he's trying to get the first 20 issues of Superman. Okay. That's his, that's his quest. So he goes to Comic-Con every – like part of, part of the – one of the side benefits of what's been happening with Night Vale and Thrilling Adventure Hour and, and now hopefully Venture Brothers too is getting to go to all these cons. I got to take him to – or go with him to 
San Diego Comic-Con for the first time a few years back. He had never been. That must be a kind of a thrill. It was great. It was great. And now he goes every year. It's just like he, he knows where he's staying and he's got it. He plans his calendar around it and it's, it's like a must-do event for him. And it was it was so like Superman. That was his thing. So was he a DC guy? Like, or did he kind of read both? Uh, he read both. I mean, he was born in '49, so he was the perfect age. I mean, he was 13 when Spider-Man. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, or, yeah, like 12 or 13, something like that. So he he loves Marvel too. He just that's all Silver Age, and he loves the artwork on those Golden Age covers. They're real. I mean, they're great covers. But he still has. He has an amazing Spider-Man number one. Wow. That's, that was his as a kid. Gee, and he kept, fair play to him for having the restraint for keeping it. Yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> this is terrible, but his, his mother died at a young age, which means there was no point where everything got cleaned out. Oh, no yeah, that makes sense. Because that's the classic story. Like, oh, I had, uh, I had all the number ones from Marvel and then... And then uh, my mother threw them away. So he, he kept all that. He used to have like an X-Men number. He had all these comics, some of which he sold when I was a kid because we didn't have a ton of money then. But uh, now he's done very well for himself. It continues to. And so he, he's gone after getting these comics. He has like this really nice cabinet that they just had put in that where they're all filed. But he's real. he's way into it. It's great. And did any of that kind of collectoring, which is a real word, I, I swear. Um, Absolutely. Did, <laughs> did don't any, check the dictionary. You no, won't find it. Don't look it up, you guys. Uh, yeah. But, I mean, did that rub off on you or are you more like like comics are more disposable to you? No, I I was – now they're a little bit more disposable. I, I don't collect new stuff. Um, and I haven't bought comics in a while. The thing that I collected was um, – I think it was the Champions was the name of the team. It was like Hercules. Oh, yeah. I think Angel Ghost, was on that team as well. Yeah. Ghost Rider, Black Widow. Right. It was like and not I, the Defenders, essentially. No. It was, yeah. It was like <laughs> the anti-Defenders. It had like a 17 or 18 issue run, and I collected all of them as a kid. Okay. And now, now I collect the Star Wars toys that I had when as, a, as a kid. So Kenner figures and, and play sets and stuff, but I want them on the card. I want them in good shape. I don't have a ton of money to spend on them, so it's very rare when I pick one up. But over time, I accumulate them so that I do have that collector-y gene in me. Now, our mutual friend, Joseph Scrimshaw, is a Star Wars nut. Yes. Um, I've heard at length his opinion on the new movie, <laughs> but I don't think I've heard yours. What did you think of it? Uh, he and I, I think, are, are in the same are simpatico on it. I, I loved it. I thought it was fantastic. Okay, yeah, me too, me and too. I, I teased Ken Plume about it over and over again when he <laughs> said he had a problem with it, just relentlessly. Because of course Ken has a problem with it, because Ken has a yeah. problem with everything. <laughs> <laughs> Have you talked to him about the Fantastic Four movie that came out last summer? Oh, well, here's the thing. I didn't even bother seeing that piece of junk, because I knew it would yeah. be a piece of junk before. But I know, I know Fantastic Four is his baby. Yes. Uh, so I, I wouldn't even dare uh, because <laughs> conversations with Ken already last four hours at a time. So I don't That's think right. I could take the, the ranting <laughs> for, the, for that one. My, my new thing is trying to get him to see Superman versus Batman. <laughs> and whenever he refuses, I say, look, you saw Fantastic Four. You can't be you can't be that far away. Where are you drawing your line? Yeah, you can't be picky about it now. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You've already jumped off the cliff. Uh, what was your so you collected Defenders but was that your like favorite superhero as a kid like that team or did you did you gravitate towards anybody else I loved the X-Men I was a Wolverine fan like any kid was probably although Cyclops was probably my favorite X-Men just because I love I love the laser beams I love the 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 visor he wore I just thought he was the coolest and he was the leader of the team yeah and and Spider-Man who doesn't he, love Spider-Man? I know. Well, like that's that's you'd have to be a, a maniac not to love Ben Riley. Um, so, the <laughs> uh, <laughs> the Cyclops is a is a is a uh, divisive figure though with comic book fans. I feel I feel like you either love or hate him. Um, I'm on the love camp too. I love Cyclops too. Yeah, I don't. I, come on. I know. I don't. I don't get the hate either. It's, it makes no sense to me. Um, would you 
if you given the chance to do like you know the X Men cartoon show, would you audition for Cyclops? Who would you audition? Who would you think like I could do the voice for that one? I feel like Wolverine would probably be my best one. In fact, when I put together my animation demo, well, I had somebody uh, help me with it. I had somebody actually produced it, and one of the sides we picked was Wolverine. Okay, that, that growly kind of. Um, that growly, but I feel like at some point I did audition for a version of the X. Like I've been with my agent for ten years, mm. and I think that I've auditioned for almost like Transformers, uh, Superman, Batman, Justice League, like all these different things that have come around. Yeah, the chance to audition for. So I feel like maybe it's maybe not Wolverine. I forget who it was, but every once in a while that stuff comes across, and I I get real nervous because i'm <laughs> excited and i really want to to play like like dr strange or or baron mordo or, or right whoever just let me in did you, you did know? you give wolverine a canadian accent because no one no, ever does that does. No, no it's so strange i i want to see him like be all super canuck and like you know say hey yeah. <laughs> like, hey colossus uh what are you doing this weekend uh what a Go down the bar. Um, I'll put my toque on. It's cold out. Because, <laughs> yeah, I feel like that would change how you would say bub as well. <laughs> hey, bub. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> I know We don't know each other that well yet. <laughs> I'm the best at what I do, eh? <laughs> yeah. Oh, sorry. Sorry. That was a bit presumptuous. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, what is the dream job for you? What is, what is like, what would be, if you could make a wish on a genie lamp, like, what would be the job that you would create for yourself? I mean, like, for, like, career-wise or specific role or um yeah yeah i would say like if you if you like could cast yourself in something tomorrow what what would you give yourself would you give yourself an uh, animated voice role would you would you rather be acting on something or no i I would love to have a career like like uh john dimaggio or billy west or tom kenny or d bradley baker uh or any of those guys who are just going from session to session do different characters Mm. and make a living at being all these different voices. Um, and was that's, it, that's the dream. Was that something when you were a kid that you were like watching cartoons and thinking to yourself, I'd love to have that job? Or was that something that you kind of found later? I just never, it never occurred to me that it was even possible. Okay. I never thought about it because I just, I mean, I loved cartoons, but I saw people on camera. So I figured that's, that's what I should do. Right. And it wasn't, wasn't until I started actually doing it that that I really fell in love and like oh this is possible you can you can actually do this and and this can be your your career yeah it it's it's and I feel like voiceover work I mean it's a, it's one of the harder ones to get into as well because like even in comparison to acting and and you know c- comedy and stuff like that it's it's there seems to be a tight knit group of voiceover artists and it's hard to break into it. Yes, yeah, it's definitely finding like meeting people and getting in front of people over and over and over again in a way it, it, like you just have to sort of find an opening in a in a very specific way of like all right this. This person has their group of people, but somehow I got to work with them and hopefully it goes well and we continue to work together and then I, I'm on their roster. You know what I mean? Right, exactly. And you're ingrained in the podcast community now as well. Uh, like you're, you've got We Got This with Mark Agliardi. Yes. Dreamboat, that is Mark Agliardi. Of course. I, I have to admit, I was kind of like, I was off put by how attractive that man is in person. <laughs> <laughs> he's a real charmer. He's, he really he's like is. A, he's like a cobra, though. He'll he'll poison you if you get too close. Don't be, <laughs> don't be mesmerized by the hood. I was hoping he was more of a boa constrictor. He would just hold me in his tight arms and make me feel warm and safe. Well, um, that'll happen soon. Okay, good, good. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, you have that podcast, which you've just done a year of. Yes, thank uh, you. you. Thank w- you very much, everybody <laughs> out there. Thank you. I can hear you <laughs> clapping. Yeah. <laughs> Um, the uh, and it's it's uh, I have to congratulate you on a, on a podcast that um, I can listen to every episode 
despite the subject matter because like with most podcasts I find like with Nerdist or you know other like Mark Maron I find those podcasts are very much dependent on who's the guest um, and I wouldn't listen to all of them because they wouldn't all be interesting to me but like despite like me not knowing some of the things that you're talking about uh, like it, I'm trying to think of a, of a good example it was just a very American centric one that you had recently okay college versus pro football yeah stuff like that now i do have an interest in american football so i had a little bit of interest uh, in that but yeah like for an example we'll use that as an example i was still able to enjoy um despite not knowing as much as you guys do um i was, was able to enjoy your discussion on it um is do you pick your subjects with that in mind or just with the idea of whether or not you could riff on it for an hour well, first of all, thank you for the kind words. I appreciate <laughs> that. Like that means a lot. Sincerely, that it's not just uh, for you. It's not just topic based, and I hope that's the case for other people who listen. Yeah. Who are listening because they you're, enjoy hearing Mark and I talk. You're still wrong about the hot dogs, but how and whatever. <laughs> you son of a bitch! You. <laughs> that's why you had me on here. I knew it. Uh, but the the topics we get. So they get suggested by our, our listeners by and large. Mm. So we, we collect them all. Like We basically go, all right, we're everywhere on the internet that you are. So throw your suggestions at us. We keep a list. And we, we try to pick – we try to do a mix of like binary versus what is the best in a genre that has a ton of choices. Or right. we just did a food one. Let's not do a food one. I think the, 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 really, the only limitation is sometimes we get suggestions that, that – aren't really a thing that people have either have strong opinions about or that, that they don't really argue about. They just sort of – those feel like they're trying to get us to validate something that they do or think. Okay. <laughs> like um, I do this weird thing. Like I bite my toenails. Is biting your toenails weird or wrong? Like, you know? <laughs> right. Exactly. That would be – yeah. It would be like somebody would, would write in and go like, should you bite your toenails? Uh, should <laughs> Should your brother-in-law pay you back uh, for a loan that you made? I feel like you should do one quick-fire episode where you ramble through all these and just like, no, you shouldn't do that. Next. Um. We did one where we, where we covered like five of them, but we're collecting more for, to do another one. Okay. So that, that, and that was a, that people liked that one, I think, because we covered a lot of really silly stuff that just like if it, if, it just wouldn't be a full episode. Yeah. Uh, the I was fascinated by the Christmas shoes um, one because that was one that ne- that was a song that never made it over here. So I was completely, I was fascinated by your conversation about it because it sounds horrifying. Oh, find it online. You can see the video for it. There's I don't know video. if I want to find it. The way you describe it, I don't know if I want to look it up. But you need to. You know you're going to. Don't fight it. Don't fight it. Please just watch. It. Like suffer through you. I, if you can make it through a minute of it, you, you've accomplished something with your day. Okay, okay, fair enough. I will, I will wear a badge of honor if I can, if I can watch the whole thing. Uh, the, uh, but yeah, so you're, you've, I've, you have an infamous like Google Doc or something, isn't it? With or a spreadsheet with like all the the ones that you've topics that you can do. Yes, I think Mark has seen it once, <laughs> despite me saying, like, why don't you pick this time? Because I'll look through and go, OK, um, here are some interesting ones. We either one we just got or here's one that's been on the list for a while. Let's let's knock it out because we record two at a time generally. Oh, OK. So how far ahead are you at the moment then? We have. Let me think. I think I have three episodes. So the, we, we'd already recorded the one coming out this week and then I have three others. One's going to be. An exclusive – I actually have to edit it this weekend. It's going to be an exclusive episode, a bonus episode for people who support us on Maximum Fun because we have the, the Max Fun drive coming up. Okay. So people who actually donate to us will get uh, – or don't, or Max Fun donors will get access to this episode and then three others. So th- yeah, the next three weeks I have covered and then we'll – the goal is once a week to record two episodes so we can get really far ahead. Now you you record both on Skype and in person. Do you? Because I find it can be a very different dynamic sometimes. Is it easier, or, or which one's easier for you? I would always rather us be in the same room. Okay. Because um, sometimes Skype is helpful in a way uh, because you have to listen harder. If that makes sense. 
because right. you have to pay more attention to when it's time to speak and when it's not. That's true. Yeah, you don't want to talk over one another. I think we figured that out. And we, we used to do it through Skype. I assume you're using like a call recorder or something for this. Perfect. Yeah, exactly. So we did that. And then then uh, we, it, to make the audio quality better, I record my half of the conversation. He records his half and we're on the phone. Right. So that that one is just – like you said, it's you, you do have to, to listen more, which is good. But also on the editing side – trying to you have to we have to sync up the two tracks and then and then i have to go through and edit it so that can be a little bit more painstaking but we've figured actually ken plume so we mentioned him a third time so he'll probably call in Um, (laughs) but he's he's been serving as our producer and he was like uh here's how you sync up because he recorded with dana that way yes yeah yeah. so he's helped a lot to to reduce my my post-production schedule as it was. Mm. I, I hold the uncanny record of being the person who was guested the most on this uh, Ken PD Snycast. Um, <laughs> so uh, I'll go down on history, folks. Um, you know, hopefully for okay. that, hopefully for that and not the killing spree. Um, <laughs> Why? Uh, they're connected. <laughs> they could, sometimes they could be. <laughs> uh, so you, so you have this now. This came off the back of uh, adventure, thrilling adventure, are closing down. Yes. Um, do, you spoke recently about wanting to do a wrestling podcast as well. Yes. <laughs> How many hours of audio do you think there are of you between that and then also Night Vale online? Because I counted the other day and I recognize I'm over three hundred hours online. Man, uh, let's see. I would guess that maybe close to that well I, all right <laughs> here's the thing are we counting bit of a chat oh jesus yeah i suppose so yeah <laughs> okay uh about three years worth of audio <laughs> i would i would say maybe i'm close to that i think i think having my own podcast helps boost that because thrilling adventure hour was like 260 episodes but they're each about half an hour long and i'm in most of them but not all of them right like yeah i i would guess i would guess i'm close to where you are probably a little bit less because okay. i don't i'm not in night vale as much as an audio character i i tend to do their live shows more and then i think i've been in a couple episodes now how did not how did night vale come about because i'm not aware of a direct connection between you and those guys it's through thrilling adventure hour we were out there in may of 2014 doing uh sh- doing shows at the bell house in in brooklyn and ben acker introduced me to joseph and jeffrey who he had been li- ben had been listening to to welcome to night vale and and really liked the work so he got in touch with them and invited them to the show i talked to them for about 45 minutes after that show they were great really nice guys mm. then that summer was the summer that they really blew up and when we came back that fall for New York Comic Con, the Night Vale guys were doing a show and they said, anybody from Thrilling Adventure Hour who is in town is more than welcome to join us. So a handful of us. I, I always respond. Whenever there's an email that asks if I'm available for something, I respond within five minutes <laughs> and, say, and say yes. Which is so the right attitude to have. You, yeah. You have to sort of be willing to and, – and like I trust those guys. Right. If it was a stranger, it's not going to be yes right away. But these like, I, I it was an, it was like of course of course I'm going to do it I'm going to be in town I'll do an extra show great I just realized how you modified that for in case anybody just sends you weird requests on Twitter now well I do I do get requests well I, I try to say yes to as many requests as I as I can I don't get a ton but some uh, some come in uh, every now and then like I'm not at a level where you've never been asked to do anybody's birthday or anything. <laughs> No. <laughs> Could you perform on my kid's to, birthday? Yeah, like uh, my kids doing a birthday. We're also having a sex slave uh, auction in the basement. If you come by and really do, do that gummy voice the kids love. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I did that show. Had no idea who Steve Carlsberg was. And when I heard the crowd reaction, that was the moment I felt like I was a pro wrestler. Right. When I came out for the second show and they cheered and then booed and it felt like like somebody had had shot adrenaline into me. 
I was so happy. Do you think you lean towards being a heel? I think being a heel, I, villains are so much fun. They're so much I more do. fun, aren't they? Yeah. It's, I agree. I definitely agree. And Steve Carlsberg's not a like he he has sort of face turned, I think. And the reason why is uh, partially at least because like you know I'm sure you've listened to enough uh Mick Foley audiobooks or read his books or heard him talk to to see like the best heels don't think they're heels. They're yeah. doing the the what they think is right, but they're doing it the the wrong way. Yeah. So I look the other way of like this guy is just a regular guy, so then like booing him was less satisfying. <laughs> I think at the time. It's the magneto effect. Exactly. Yeah, it, that's what it is. You're the magneto of the Nightvale universe. Oh, that's perfect. <laughs> let, me, let me change my bio here. <laughs> <laughs> um so we now ne- we haven't spoken about your wonderful wife. Yes. Um aka Carter Parton Rogers. Yes. Um, I uh, got to see her perform live at DragonCon last year, which was a lot of fun. Um, and she's like kind of performing at a lot of your We Got This Live shows. Yes. Um, yeah, she, she opens for us wherever we do, uh, whenever we've traveled, she's open for us so far. Is there a chance that you're going to b- drag her into a We Got This episode for like best country singer? That would be interesting to have her do it as her character. So yeah. she's on as herself. She and uh, Mark's girlfriend, Juliana, did an episode together. And I have uh, – I'm going to be recording something with them soon um, that is related to our podcast. Okay. Uh, again, but that would be interesting to have. I don't think – we've never done one with a character and that would be interesting. Yeah, because like, I, I know she has the ability to hold up the character through like the whole, all that whole hour. So oh, it would be sure. – It would be fascinating just to hear uh, uh, CPR. Which shit? I just, yes. I just, I just put those fucking initials together. <laughs> God damn! Achievement unlocked. Layers upon layers upon layers. She, uh, Je- my wife Jennifer, of course, we were talking about. Um, she is the reason. Any anything that I do that's good character wise, I have learned from being around her and watching her because she is such a good character person. Not only in terms of like. Her mind works brilliantly, but mm. she is able and willing to maintain a character and go like full full bore with it. And I never thought of myself as a character person until I met her and started started working with her before we even um, were married. Maybe when we were when we had started dating, which was a little after we met, obviously. Mm. Uh, but she is like, I love watching her do Carter and Mark and I have. But Mark improvised. They were in an improv group together for years, so. You know, we both worked with her so much that it's great to have her open for us. Uh, it would be it would be interesting to have her on an episode. I I'm gonna have to noodle that around now. <laughs> open my mind. I'm glad I put that worm in your ear um, because that will be a lot of fun. Uh, we're getting we're getting to the end now, so um, I'm I'm gonna have to start wrapping things up. Uh, I want to I want to put a thing in your head though, is what, that I, I always uh, I say always this is like my third. Uh, podcast for this series um, but uh, I, I asked uh, my guests for what song they would like to play out on um, so if you want to uh, choose your exit music um, oh man yeah because I, I, I always I always enjoy putting people on the spot for it some, some, someday they'll twig before I do it but uh, at the moment I have the element of surprise I'll tell you what I'll give you a choice of three okay and then, and then you pick and I'll be surprised. How's that? Okay, that'll be fun. All right. They're all wrestling themes, of course. Of course. <laughs> I'll let you pick uh, between The Miz. Okay. Uh, New Day, of course. Oh, New Day? That's right. And uh, uh, Enzo Amore and Big Cass. <sighs> okay. Oh. I have a playlist on Spotify that's an hour long of just wrestler intros the majority the vast majority of them are NXT guys because like the stuff like Kevin Owens and and uh, like Finn Balor's but even just like Bailey and, and, and Emma's they're just yep. they're, they're just great kind of energizing kind of like just mixes to, to listen to it's fantastic so great um, so yeah I will, I will have fun uh, deciding on that one um, so yeah so I, I I don't know if I'll see you at DragonCon this year 
why are, are you not gonna go? Well, I didn't know if you were definitely going or not. I, I, if, if I, I'm, I don't know how many cons I'm gonna go to this year. I may go to none except for Dragon Con. Okay, I will not miss it. I'll be there. Wonderful. Uh, last year was uh, po- possibly one of the most fun ones because I think we had the best um, combination of people. Uh, yeah. It was a lot of fun. So I'm, I'm looking forward to this year again. Uh, Me too. I can't wait. Right. So, uh, so until then, my friend, I guess this is this is goodbye. <laughs> well, let's. We can stay in touch outside of podcasts no 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 we only exist within podcasting uh, <laughs> you have to, you have to listen to mine and i have to listen to yours just for you to exist in this universe <laughs> all right fine <laughs> podcast buddies podcast bros <laughs> <laughs> we're pod bros man <laughs> yeah dude we shared a pod years ago oh, um jeez <laughs> All right, buddy. Well, uh, thanks very much for sitting down and chatting to me for an hour. And uh, I, yeah, I look forward to talking to you again soon. Likewise, anytime. All right, later, buddy. Bye.